All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing's nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth-building market insights. Hi, I'm Matt Schreiber, and this is Bull Bear Radio. I'm joined by Don Schreiber, founder and CEO of WBI. Don, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's been a uh, an interesting college football season so far. So I know this is Bull Bear Radio, and we're supposed to talk finance here, but, you know, I love college football. How about you, Don? I do, too. But, you know, our Gamecocks lost last weekend. We were 2-0 going into the game. Huge hopes. A little bit of a downer. Yeah, you know, uh, it's just, you know, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and and that's what we have Bull Bear Radio for. So, you know, people talk a lot about, uh, you know, the the markets, and the markets are up pretty good this year so far, and we talked a little bit in the last episode about the big run. run. You know, we've run for now 3,200 uh, almost 3,300 days here. You know, it's it's been a long stretch. The longest in, in history is 4,494 days without a 20% correction. So we're at about 3,300 days now. That's the Rip Van Winkle of bull markets. The Rip Van Winkle, huh? I don't think this one makes it. I think this one dies before it gets to old age. You just shot it dead. <laughs> it's just shot dead. You know, we're hitting all-time new highs here. And, uh, you know, when you hit all-time highs, it, it gives it should give any investor a, a, a cause for pause, right? Think, I think about their portfolio a little bit. I think so. When value's not absent, investing successfully gets much harder. People get so excited about chasing the growth trade. It usually gets some high-octane returns, and all of a sudden, at some point in time, investor psychology shifts. We get a huge move to the downside, and it's those high-octane growth stocks, you know, the FANG trade, that is going to take the largest declines. People get destroyed when they take large declines. Yeah, this year, it's, it's really Facebook. Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA, not Netflix. Netflix isn't doing it this year, even though you might like Netflix, okay, and Google or Alphabet. Uh, you know, those those stocks are really tearing it up this year. The top 20 stocks are really providing over about half the return this year. By the way, what's with Google? I wish they'd figure out what the name of their company is. Google, Alphabet, one, two, three, four. Well, you know, they're trying to branch into different, you know, new technologies. They just don't want to be a search engine anymore. So Google's like a piece of the business, you know. So they're trying to, you know, be like Elon Musk, launch rockets and do all kinds of different stuff. They want to be Amazon, take over every sector of the universe. uh, that's that's probably true. Amazon just bought Whole Foods, as you know. You know, let's talk about the consumer for a second here. The consumer is is like seventy percentish of the economy these days, isn't that about right, Don? Yeah. So uh, the consumer usually racks up about seventy percent of GDP. The thing that's a little bit scary right now is the consumer has been on a borrowing binge that is of historic proportions, right, Matt? Yeah. You know unfortunately we we've hit all-time highs in consumer debt so about 13.1 trillion dollars 
Uh, credit card charge-offs, though, are on the rise for severely ding- delinquent charges, up nearly 25% year-over-year in Q2. It's the second, or I'm sorry, the seventh consecutive quarter of uh, uh, an increase in that statistic. Home equity lines of credit are up 8% in Q2. Hey, I just just read that, you know, consumers have tapped out their home equity mortgage, yep. right, yep. lines. They've already tapped out the uh, credit cards, and now they're going after their 401ks. Wow. The 401ks, I mean, that comes with some extra, you know, penalties and such. So if you're really trying to spend, that's... That's a, an aggressive way to do it, huh? The problem is that, you know, the consumers are looking for any way to keep the spending going because that's what we do in the United States. We spend money on stuff. And uh, the problem is that they're running out of firepower. You know, we also have a situation where companies in the United States are at the highest debt levels ever. And the U.S. government's at the highest debt level ever. I think uh, in excess of $20 trillion now. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's heavy. You know, for the first time... The U.S. deficit has exceeded the size of GDP. Really? Yep. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's not a good thing. It's never a good thing. But, you know, I'm not really concerned about the size of the debt level. I am concerned about how fast or how slow the economy is growing. So the consumer really has been driving that spending. You know, the University of Michigan said the consumer confidence declined in September. You have... You know, a couple of gauges to, to gauge consumer confidence, University of Michigan. It's really all about, you know, will they put the money to work? And and so this gauge fell last month after hitting a high in August. And so uh, it's, it's basically suggesting that maybe the consumer is tapped out. So if the consumer's tapped out, Don, how do we get GDP on track if that's one of the biggest components? Well, the great fantasy is that the uh, prognosticators keep coming up with this, hey, you know, we're going to get 3% GDP growth this year. Is that We're going to get it next quarter. Is that insane, though, uh, it to, is. to think we can get 3% growth? I think it is, without some uh, fundamental change in the way we're funding it. Let me break it down for you, Matt. All right, so GDP is made up of break basically— Break it down, break it down, break it down. Four different components, okay? We have consumer uh, spending, which is 70% of the economy. Then at about 17 or 18% is business spending. And business spending is coming back. That's a good thing. And then you have government spending, And then you have government spending. Now, so consumers typically are post a recession— grow on a compounded annual basis, about 5.5%. They've been giving, essentially, spending enough money to get a 3.5% compounded growth rate. Let's not throw the consumer under bus. The reason why we're not growing quickly isn't because of the consumer. Companies have been spending, on pace, about 5% GDP uh, or uh, growth after a recession in, in uh, business spending. So businesses have done their part, and have been spending money. Will they spend more money if we get tax cuts? They sure will. Do you That's think one that- of the beauties behind it. So if you get more money that drops to the bottom line, and you get this repatriation, $2.8 trillion of capital that is trapped offshore, sitting in cash, earning mostly negative returns on money markets and, or instruments. Because where, where are those assets domiciled? In, in, in So they're outside the country. They're mostly in Europe, some of them in Asia. And Europe but, moved towards negative interest rates last sure. year, right? So, you know, companies have... And what the, sense does that make, by the way? They don't want to pay the tax. They don't want to pay the high corporate tax rate on those uh, dollars. And because of the way the tax code works, inefficient, 
It doesn't tax income wherever it's earned in the world for U.S. companies. They're going to change that. That's one of the reasons why we need tax reform. But we're also going to get a tax holiday, maybe 10 or 15 percent, and they can bring that capital back. When they bring it back, they're going to spend, businesses are going to spend more money. They'll do buybacks. They'll increase dividends. All of those things are going to be good for the investor. They're going to be good for the economy. We're also going to get business tax cuts. And the biggest winners on the business tax cuts are small and medium-sized companies. And they are going to grow faster and reinvest more of their uh, profit than ever before. And so it's really, in the United States, 70% of employment growth is driven by small and mid-sized companies, not the big companies. It's a small, small companies who- It's a small world. Who, yeah, so, you know, retail sales dropped uh, in August, principally as auto sales fell. Um, do you think that auto sales to close the year will pick back up? I do. I really, uh, you know, the game changer was Harvey, uh, Hurricane Harvey. We uh, Unfortunately, to that, that's a huge uh, flooding disaster. Uh, probably uh, toasted about uh, flooded, destroyed about 500,000 cars or so in uh, Texas and Louisiana and, and probably about 200,000 in Irma. In so, Florida. so do you think that helps, you know, the domestic auto companies, internationally based auto companies oh, I, I, I think that or everybody? In, I think everybody gets a lift, but I think General Motors and Ford principally are going to be uh, the ones that enjoy the most. They've got a lot of inventory. They can, you know, do some deals, but they can really move a lot of cars over the next uh, coming quarter. So I think it's going to be, you know, um, a uh, four wheel drive Christmas uh, for a lot of folks trying to replace cars. Wow. So, you know, Harvey and, and Irma certainly have had uh, a pretty big impact on, you know, the southern, uh, southeastern, you know, uh, side of the United States. It looks like there could be more of an impact with more storms on the horizon. Um, do you think even though these storms might be lining up out there, do you think that'll have further impact on, on the economy, maybe a, a more of a slowdown? Uh, than we'd anticipate in Q3, Q4. I know we hit a little bit of this in, in our last podcast episode, but what might the impact be of, of any storms that, uh, you know, may or may not make it ashore here? So we got, uh, you know, probably another six weeks or so, at least maybe eight weeks of uh, hurricane season left over almost into December. And, um, you know, people should not count out uh, the fact that we have these large and more powerful storms histor than historically uh, on average. I think that it could really be bad. You know, I fervently uh, pray for the uh, storms to miss the United States so that we don't have any more destruction. We certainly have had our more than our fair share. Certainly the southern part of the U.S., uh, Florida and the uh, Panhandle, cannot take any more damage right now. All right. So, you know, um, there's been a lot of talk about the Fed. I kind of say that said this on the last podcast, but we didn't get to this part. Right. There's going to be some potential change at the Fed. You know, so uh, you have that. Should she stay or should she go? You know, I don't think she stays. I don't think that she's reappointed. I just don't think so. I think that there's six appointments, key appointments at the Fed that uh, uh, President Trump gets to do, and he's going to change the face of the Fed. The Fed's going to be 
uh, much more in line because they're going to be new appointees. Don't forget, the current appoint appointees really were appointed under Democratic uh, leadership. And so, you know, I always ask myself, why three rate hikes in four months? That's just unusual in a slow-growth economy. And I think that part of that has to do with, uh, uh, you know, they're really not big fans of uh, the new administration. Well, we even heard under Bernanke, right, the the employment statistics are extremely complex these days, very segmented across different populations of, of the workforce and such. And if you start to slice and dice these metrics, I mean, you, you see that, hey, you know, folks who should be retiring are one of the fastest growing segments of the workforce. What's that say uh, about the economy, about companies right now, you know, that uh, folks who should be marching towards retirement are going back to work? Well, people are going back to work for a number of reasons. You know, uh, the economy hasn't been strong, but, we, you know, investors, the, these retiring investors or, or folks that are find themselves in retirements, unfortunately, were battered and bruised by the last two bear markets. They have less capital than they, what they thought they were going to have. They are not going to enjoy the kind of retirement income from their capital base that they thought was possible, and they've got to continue working. It's not what they thought retirement was going to be. And one of the things that we want to make sure advisors and their clients are aware of is that could happen again any time now, again to people. And people can't afford to take another big haircut to capital. you got to prevent that. It's the most important thing an advisor can do for their clients is to make sure that their capital stays intact for the most part and you can compound coming out of that in a much more favorable environment. I do think that we get infrastructure spending. I do think we'll get some kind of tax policy. It may take longer for all this stuff to develop than what people will tolerate. We could get a shift from optimism, excessive Goldilocks optimism, to pessimism. And if that happens... That's usually the precursor for a bear market, uh, and bear markets average 40%, 50% or more every six years or so. Well, we just haven't usually, had one yet, Matt. Usually you have a 10% decline every single year. 20% decline you know, uh, comes around typically. Um, every two and a half years or so. Yeah, and, and so we haven't seen those. You know, really, we haven't seen that 20% decline on most major market averages or, or indexes, I'm sorry, since March of 2009. That's because of the, the Fed has had a put, meaning the Fed has backstopped the markets. Monetary policy basically has been in control of the market cycle. So they did the right the thing. Fed in 2008, has, they flooded the, the markets with liquidity. We needed it to keep the financial system, you know, alive, so to speak. Absolutely. Ben Bernanke. And Hank Paulson, the Treasury, Sec Treasury Secretary, did something heroic in terms of uh, preventing another disaster in the form of a depression. We were really in trouble. The problem with low growth is that you need three to three and a half percent con consecutive quarter over quarter GDP growth for quite some time or higher to be able to lift the economy out of that uh, recession trend and put it on firm footing and actually heal the financial system. And we haven't had that kind of growth. And so the U.S. and the global financial system is still at risk. So, you know, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be back in just a moment. Do you need income? 
WBAI's retirement income strategy focuses on keeping investors' capital base intact in order to grow and provide income leading to and in retirement. The strategy combines dividend-paying stocks with high-quality corporate or high-yield bonds. Learn more at WBIinvestments.com. WBI's retirement income strategy is one of six separately managed accounts currently offered by WBI. Other strategies may have different results. And we're back. So, Don, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, building a better business. So, you know, one thing that you've always said is that you really need to institutionalize your business. What's that mean? So institutionalizing your business, I wrote a book on it called Building a World-Class Financial Services Business. But institutionalizing your in business 2001, it would it apply what, to anybody, though, right? Well, it does. It applies to anybody. But, you know, I happen to be... Uh, have experience, uh, significant experience in the financial services industry. And if you're going to build a business, most people have a sales practice. A lot of the businesses, advisor businesses, are kind of mom and pop institutions. One or two or three people work at it. And they deliver. I hate that word, uh, practice. What are they practicing to do? I don't know. I've been working in this industry for 36 years. building a business? I'm not practicing anymore. We're perfecting. We are institutionalizing. You've got to be professional. And so the institutionalizing is institutionalizing the relationship that you have with your clients, with your organization. You should have staff that are high value. So nobody drops a ball, right? You're, not only nobody drops a ball, you're delivering in it a level of advice and service That's unparalleled. that is really difficult for competitors, especially these large companies to that are right now trying to drive everybody out of this business because they're cutting their fees. They're low cost. They're free. It seems right. attractive. It seems attractive. But in fact, what they're providing is low or no value. You can get asset allocation, asset allocation modeling for free. for free from most of the major institutions. And yet advisors are still doing asset allocation as their main value proposition, and they want to charge 100 basis points or something close to 100 basis points for that. What I came into the industry on, the reason why I came in the industry- Is to help people. Was to help people by providing a high level of advice and service that would help them achieve their financial goals. The true value proposition in the advisory business is that original mandate, mission statement, that I came into the business with, which was to provide that level of service. Commoditization has caused the business to become very difficult to win at, all right? And we need to institutionalize that relationship. Drive a very high level of ongoing service. You know, people do financial planning for a lot of clients or a retirement plan. They do it once and that's it. But if well, you your spend, financial situation can change, changes, you know, rapidly. Each, and it changes each year, all, it month change, to month, you know, quarter over quarter, year over year. You're, you're, for a lot of people, your stuff it, changes. For a lot of people, it doesn't change that often, but they do have life events. They do end up changing jobs. They make more money. They get inheritances. All the tax law changes. The state tax law changes. Health, Kids go to school. Their health changes. All kinds of things cause a necessity for ongoing financial advice and support and, hey, and services. we were just talking about this the other day it's if you have kids you know you have decisions on where to buy a house how much you pay in taxes in the town whether you should t- you know send them to private school or public school i mean but the important thing is these are change- all things your financial advisor can help you with right though. the important thing to me is to change the relationship between a one-on-one relationship advisor to client 
with a relationship between the client and the organization, where you have the organization and people in the organization that are providing meaningful advice and service so that when the advisor either wants to sell their business or retire, the business has intrinsic value. Oh, so if, if you're the guy, let's talk about this. You, you hit on a good, good topic right here. You're building this business all your life. And if you're the guy, what happens when you go to sell? Well, if you have... You're the you're the essentially the uh, advice and service giver, and everything has to come through you. Your business has no value. You've had a high paying job, maybe if you're lucky, you know, during your life, but you can't sell a high paying job. You have to build a business, something that's an acquirer can depend on that revenue stream that's recurring, that is growing. That's what people want to so buy. So they're looking for an institution with revenue and profit that's consistent, repeatable, and reliable, and not contingent on you as as being the guy or, you know, the, or exciting, the gal, for that matter. That's right. And the exciting thing, Matt, is that technology is advanced. You know, we have robo-technology. Robo is another scary competitor. But in fact, digital advisory platforms help advisors to provide a higher level of advice and service than ever before at a lower price point profitably. So you can a, do business with more people. You can do a better job for them but because it's also, of digital center, advisory services and software that are out there. So it should center around, you know, knowing your client, knowing, you know, what their tolerance is for losses, setting a, a, a required rate of return, and especially that downward boundary in terms of loss, right? Well, there's a lot that goes into financial planning. But financial planning is kind of the cornerstone, tax planning, you know. And portfolio management and constructing portfolios is part of that. But the most important thing is to use a business model on the portfolio management side that works for people. So buy and hold, passive asset allocation with diversification, not reducing risk materially because correlations between asset classes are very high. And in a liquidity crisis like we experienced in 2008 and early 2009, all asset classes are highly correlated and they're highly correlated because they're all falling in value. That is not a good situation. So, so if all of the assets are falling in value, let's talk about institutionalizing the business again. If, if your, your asset prices are falling, the underlying investments, what does that do to the business's value? So the business value is falling, but you know, if you lose half your income, it takes a long time to get it back. But you also You'll lose also, half your revenue. You're going to lose half your income, half your revenue. You're going to have to collapse your business, maybe fire some employees. It's not a good situation. So you should have a mix of, of, of investments is what you're saying that aren't correlated, something that will stabilize your revenue stream. And that's what a, that's what a prospective buyer would really want to see. You bet. So if you have diversification isn't working as well as it did when Harry Markowitz came up with the concept of the efficient frontier and efficient portfolios using diversification to reduce risk and increase returns. He was right, right back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. But by the 2000s, when the internet revolution had democratized uh, access to financial information and everybody has it instantly for free, the uh, whole world became very correlated based on what the herd is doing. It's Human, a herd mentality. So optimism, mentality. We, we were mentioning this earlier, optimism could shift to pessimism. And if your business 
isn't structured appropriately in terms of the underlying investments and also having a really high class, you know, service organization, then you really have a, a business that isn't institutionalized. You bet. And, you know, to survive and thrive, you have to get this uh, institutionalize your business done. You know, and it really hasn't changed over the last 20 years since I wrote that book. I basically put together a, uh, a working strategic business planning uh, advice or, or mentoring guide for uh, advisors. And I know a number of advisors who have built great businesses using that basically as a management tool. So but, this is, <clears throat> you, you wrote, uh, building a world-class financial services business. And, and that's still available today. It is. It's not in uh, the first print run. We're actually going to, um, I'm going to update the book. I'm going to bring it into the uh, 21st or 22nd century. We're going to talk about in that book um, this digital advice and robo uh, technology and how advisors can use it to their benefit. Do you help uh, advisors, you know, uh, on a select basis from time to time? We do. uh, Build their business? As part of WBI's value proposition, we have always believed that our job is to not only bring great products to advisors that they can use with their clients that make Uh, sense, you know, from a risk-adjusted return and protecting capital standpoint, but we also have to help them build a better business. So they can serve their clients better. They can serve their clients, and they can achieve their goals and dreams. They can help their employees have better, high-paying jobs. They can make more money at what they're doing, and eventually, hopefully, they can sell their business and fund their retirement, which is the, you know, the dream that most American business owners have had for the last hundred years or so. Well, you know, thank you, Don, for your your thoughts on institutionalizing your business. That's all we've got time for today. This was another episode of Bull Bear Radio. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to uh, coming right back at you next week. This is Bull Bear Radio, where each week you can count on our real market news and advice. Catch all of our podcast episodes at WBIinvestments.com. We want to hear from you. Submit your questions for Matt and Don to be discussed in future podcasts to bullbearradio at WBIinvestments.com. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views presented are those of the podcast participants and should not be construed as investment advice. Podcast participants or clients of WBI may own stock discussed in this recording. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. This is not an offer to buy or sell any security. No security or strategy, including those referred to directly or indirectly in this podcast, is suitable for all accounts or profitable all of the time. There's always a possibility of loss. Moreover, you should not assume that any discussion or information provided here serves as a receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WBI or from any other investment professional. To the extent that you have any questions regarding the applicability of any specific issue discussed to your individual situation, please consult with WBI or the professional advisor of your choosing. This information is compiled from sources believed to be reliable. Accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Information pertaining to WBI's advisory operations services and fees is set forth in WBI's disclosure statement in Part 2A of Form ADB, a copy of which is available upon request. You are not permitted to publish, transmit, or otherwise reproduce this information in whole or in part in any format to any third party without the express written consent of WBI Investments, Inc. WBI's retirement income strategy was incepted on June 30, 1993.